this one into the night. Jimmy Rollins is going to turn for three. Here he comes. In the air, down the right field line. Way back there. Out of RBI, hit by Mitchie Poole. Here's the throw to the plate. It's in the air. He is. Oh! The 0-2 Guys, as much as it pains me to turn that music off, it is time to start a Phillies Nation post-game space. I'm Tim Kelly, joined today by Nathan Ackerman, and obviously we have a lot to get into as the Phillies uh, start the season one and five. I don't think it's necessarily time to panic, but obviously starting the season, Nathan, one and five, it's a pretty disastrous outcome uh, relative to what you hope to be doing. Yeah, not exactly how they would draw it up. Um... I, I agree with you. It's not quite time to panic. But I, I will say, like, it, it doesn't just seem like so far it's been good players playing bad. It's like there's very clearly some flaws with the roster and on the bench and in the rotation, although the two guys we thought, you know, were part of that problem were actually quite good. Um, but the whole, you know, who do we play against the lefties and who do we bring in off the bench who plays in the outfield, especially if Brandon Marsh is going to be hurt for more than a couple days here. It's like there's some big questions with the roster, I think, and until they get a right-handed bat for the bench or a starter that they trust um, to produce every day or close to it, um, it's, I mean, they won't play what's one divided by six, like six, 16 you know, they they won't be one out of every six for the entire year, but they're not going to be as good as we thought that they might if they don't address some of those flaws with the roster soon. Yeah, and I think the center field spot's a good place to start because Brandon Marsh didn't play in today's game because of the sprained ankle. But realistically, I, I think you're going to have scenarios against a lot of left-handed pitchers where he's not in the starting lineup, and you need to have some option out there that you trust. And as much as I'm intrigued by Christian Pache's glove, uh, th- there's only so far that goes, because right now it, it really is like having a pitcher up there at the plate. And I mean, no disrespect in saying that, but he he is lost at the plate, and I just I don't know how long you can experiment with that it'd be one thing if this was truly like the 26th man on the roster and he was playing in center field just as a defensive replacement or something like that but that's not the case here and i think at a certain point either you believe edmundo sosa can play out there and you start doing that on days where marsh isn't playing or you need to look internally at what your other options are and obviously, you have Dalton Guthrie, you have Scott Kingery, you have different guys at AAA that could potentially fill that void. And as much as I don't know how much to expect exactly out of either one of them, I'm inclined to think it would be better than Christian Pache. And uh, the other thing is, I'm not sure if, if you wave Pache right now, I, I'm not sure that he, or a DFA him, I should say, I don't know that he would get claimed by a team. It's possible you can sneak him through and send him to AAA, and maybe he figures some things out offensively there. But if you lose him, you lose him. I, I just th- this doesn't feel like it's working, and I know it's a, it's a quick rush to judgment, but it is what it is. Yeah, I also understand why they took the flyer on him. Right, the glove is outstanding. You get him to work with Kevin Long, and maybe you can see if they can tap into something there. Absolute worst case. Um, he's bad for two weeks and he's gone. 
Um, I just didn't get why they, they got him. And they kind of said, like, we'll see if he can work with the coaching staff and, you know, become a not great hitter, but like somewhat semi-competent one. And so they get him. And then 20 minutes later, it's like you're in the starting lineup. And then they're not going to pull him um, in, in any of the big spots. They didn't do it in the fifth inning just now when he was up with two outs and a man on second. It's like, um, and then they did pull him in the seventh when they put Sosa in center and Harrison at, at third. And I'm like, why didn't they do that in the fifth inning if they really believe that Sosa can play out there? Um, so they just kind of wasted an at-bat against one of their biggest scoring uh, opportunities in that game against Cole there. But yeah, it just it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me why the whole point was he can be a late-game defensive sub and we can get him to work with, with Long and see if he can be, again, somewhat semi-competent. And then they just throw him into the fire right after they pick him up. Um, I do think, I will say, if they were to... I, I'm not sure he would clear waivers. Like, I don't understand. I think it, it made sense to take a chance on him if you're the A's. Um, you know, just because they're the A's. They might win 55 games this year. Um, and... Like, anytime you have a former top prospect who can play in the outfield the way that he can, like, I don't see why they would just give up on him entirely. So I think that there's there would have to be some, not quite A's bad team, but some very poor team out there who's like, yeah, we might as well take a shot on this guy. So, But, like, that's not the worst. Like, if the Phillies lose him, I don't know if it's a, that big of a problem for them. Um, yeah, I think it's time to make a move, especially... Like you, you need a bat from the right-handed side, and they just don't have that right now. I don't think, I don't think he's worked in that bat of three pitches or more all season. Um, it's just it, it, it isn't good. It's like he, he's kind of a black hole up there. And if they're not gonna, it was good that they pulled him in the seventh. I don't know why they didn't pull him in the fifth. And if they're gonna keep on giving him at bats that he shouldn't be taking, it's like it's definitely hurting the team. So, yeah, they need to do something about it quick. Yeah, and I think maybe you ride it out for like another week. Maybe the, this homestand coming up, you ride it out for that. But uh, yeah, at a certain point, you're going to have to pull the plug and regardless of the consequences, try and get him through uh, DFA, being DFA'd and to AAA. And if not, oh, well, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, yeah, I also, yeah. I, I, I also think part of the reason they didn't bring one of those two guys up from AAA is because they want to get them regular at-bats for when they're needed in a more regular role, say one of the outfielders goes down needs to miss some time or something like that. Um, or one of the infielders too, if you're talking about um, Scotty jetpacks, but like if Marsh is going to have to miss a few days here, or if like it, I don't know, like it, I, I understand why they didn't call them up right off the bat. It just seems like um, as soon as there's an opening for a more longer term, consistent role, I would think that they would have to go that route. Well, I think there is a relatively consistent rule. If Brandon Marsh is not going to play consistently against left-handed yeah. pitching, then there's options for Scott Kingery or Guthrie or whoever the case may be to come up and play there a, a couple times a week. Like Sometimes I think we get too into this mindset of like you want to get the guy regular at bats. Well, 
at this point, neither one of them, I, I don't think, projects to be a full-time major league regular. Yeah. So they need to get used to maybe not having regular at-bats and just thriving in that role if they want to have uh, an extended big league career. So uh, I think that's where you're at. Obviously, you got into this situation because of the Matt Veerling trade. And uh, I, I feel like we're getting into this pattern where every time Gregory Soto takes the mound, it has to be an indictment one way or another on the, the trade, which kind of misses the point. I don't think anyone ever was discounting the fact that Matt Vierling had value on this team last year. Same with Nick Maton. Uh, but at the same time, Gregory Soto was terrible in Texas. He was very good in his second appearance. And then today was kind of a mixed bag. You have a home run that was only a home run in seven out of 30 MLB stadiums. Like that is a disastrous place to pitch. And frankly, as much as it's cool to like visit Yankee stadium, I can't imagine watching 162 games of that because every time there's a pop-up, you think it's going to go out of the stadium. It's just, it's not fun because so many of the home runs are cheap. Uh, that includes some of the ones the Phillies hit in this series, which wasn't many, but uh, you, you get the point. Like, I think with Gregory Soto, you're going to have to ride this out a little bit. And, like, it doesn't mean you ride it out with him pitching in the eighth inning, but the stuff is so nasty when he throws strikes that it's very much like Jose Alvarado was the first year and a half he was with the Phillies. And I'm not saying you're going to get that outcome with Gregory Soto, but you made that trade thinking this is a guy that can be a superstar reliever if he learns how to consistently throw strikes. And with that, as you did with Alvarado for a while, you might have to take some lumps. Yeah, I think it's definitely going to be a project. The stuff, as you said, is certainly nasty. The the pitch he gave up on the home run to Trevino, like it wasn't that bad of a pitch. It was in off the plate. It was a bit high, but like the pitch itself wasn't all that bad. It was just a nice hit. And then it, it is tough because you said like he it doesn't mean you have to throw him in the eighth inning every time, but like, he was really good as a closer last year. But you kind of have a guy in the closer's role who is only has only really been good as a closer the last couple of years. Um, and if, if you're going to move him out of that that role and put somebody else there, especially if you're going to put a left-handed left-hander there, then you're really thin from the left side in the pen. So I, I think that they kind of have to, as you said, ride it out. It's going to be a project. I mean, Alvarado was a project, and look what he is now. He's one of the most dominant, um, you know, arms in the sport, like the, the seventh inning or whatever, whatever he threw yesterday against two guys, I forget who, and then Judge was, like, disgusting. So, uh, I mean, as you said, it's probably not going to turn out like that, but it's just the kind of thing that you have to continue to to ride with, as you said. I think the trade in and of itself, it made sense. Obviously, through, through six games, it hasn't quite worked out because he's been um, not great, and the bench and the right-handed bats and the outfield have been glaring holes on this team, and you're like, oh, I know a guy who would have fit all of those rules so yeah through six games it's like probably cost them more than it's hurt them i just think with with the upside the trade in the moment made sense it's going to be a project if they get what they want out of him i think it's going to be one that was was worth that that risk but um yeah i mean i just i just think you can't really do anything in terms of his role right now you can't put him into the closers role because it just doesn't make sense with the way the bullpen is uh configured so yeah i mean i don't i don't know i i don't understand why they left uh nola in to face whoever was the leadoff hitter in the bottom of the seventh because he wasn't that sharp in the sixth 
the seventh inning was long or as long as half innings can be in the pitch clock. Um, and then he sort of comes out, he, he walks him on four or five, and then he's pulled. Like, if his leash is going to be that that short, I don't know why they left him in, especially after the top of the inning took so long. I didn't think it was the best Rob Thompson game, but, but we don't need to get in too far into that. But, yeah. No, I, I think that's true. And he is working with definitely some injuries and a short bench. Like, Harrison ended up coming in, but he's been banged up. You have whatever the deal is with Brandon Marsh right now. So, uh, but his hands were tied to a degree, but yeah, I, I would agree pitching wise. I, I was a little perplexed with the NOLA decision as well. Uh, and I think Gregory Soto is going to be a fluid situation. The floor for Beerling and Maton is higher, but the ceiling for Gregory Soto is significantly higher. And I like Matt Veerling. I think he played a valuable role for the Phillies last year. But this was someone who got sent to AAA at one point last year. And I ultimately think, like, on a, he's a guy that can start for a lot of bad teams, and the Tigers are a bad team. But what we had seen from him with the Phillies was that he was not, like, a, a guy you're going to trot out there 135 games a season. He On a good team, he is probably a fourth outfielder. And I will take the chance of trading a fourth outfielder, even a very good one, if it allows you to get a guy that has been an all-star reliever and you feel like really hasn't even reached his fullest potential yet. And if you lose out on that, you lose out. But I, I don't think they gave up, like, a top prospect or anything. And I'm willing to kind of see things out with Gregory Soto. As far as Jose Alvarado, you mentioned it, Nathan. That's one of the most dominant innings, what he did on uh, Tuesday night. That's one of the most dominant innings I've ever seen from a relief pitcher. And I, I just I, I look at him now. He's excellent in the appearance he had in Texas, like, He's a top five reliever in baseball right now, and I don't think it's that like shocking to say like he could go down as the best reliever in Philly's history given his stuff and the fact he's figured out a way to command it now. Uh, the Phillies have had like some very good relievers spend minimal time like shorter periods of their career with them, but in terms of like guys that have spent significant chunks, like Pavel Bond spent parts of four years, Billy Wagner spent two years, like. Uh, you, you go down on the list. Tug McGraw, I believe, spent more time with the Mets. So if Alvarado's here for an extended period and he's able to stay healthy, now that he's figured out how to control things, he has a chance to uh, – I mean, he, he good morning, good afternoon, and good night at Aaron Judge last night and made him look ridiculous, all three of them. Um, I, I just it, – it's one of those things where I don't think you should – uh, just kind of gloss over what you're seeing. You're seeing like one of the best stretches dating back to when he came back from Lehigh Valley last year that you've ever seen from a Phillies reliever. And I know he ran out of gas in the postseason, obviously gave up the home run to Jordan Alvarez in game six of the World Series. But what I see from him right now is uh, the, the type of thing that makes me think he'll be an all-star because even though he's not a closer, when it's time for managers and players to be involved in picking, which it is for uh, pitching rosters on the All-Star game, it comes down, I think, somewhat to, like, you think of who was so nasty, who did I not want to come in and face or have my players face? And I don't think there's five guys in baseball right now that are more scary to face out of the bullpen than what Jose Alvarado is. Yeah, he's, he's certainly the, he certainly is the best stuff out of any um anybody i've seen with this team and 
franchise history. It, there was a moment during the, the World Baseball Classic when we thought we were going to get him versus Trey Turner in, uh, I want to say, the semifinal game. And um, my like initial thought was, no, like Rob, Rob Thompson can't let this happen. What if he gets hit by a 100-mile-an-hour you know, two-seam or whatever? But then I was like, wait, this is a different... Alvarado now he like knows how to throw strikes and knows how to throw it where where he wants to so well not not really where he wants to but close enough to where he wants to that like if you get it over the plate it's it's going to be tough to hit so yeah I don't know I don't I don't you pretty much said said everything he's he's sort of a godsend for this team especially the way that the bullpen has has kicked things off here he's been he's been he's he's been lights out and he's kind of the guy like I it's like you're 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 kind of tempted to put him in the ninth inning role because it feels like a win every single time, but he's too good for that. I mean, you just have to put him into the biggest spot every time, and it's going to be – it's, like, as close to lockdown as you can possibly get. So, yeah, I mean, he used to be – you used to see this, like, once or twice every week or two, and you're like, geez, if he could just do that every time. Now it's, like, the thing where he can't throw strikes, he doesn't know where the ball is going, and, like, it feels like it happens once a month. It's probably going to happen, like, tomorrow because I said that, but – yeah, you pretty much said it all. He's he's uh he's been he's been a godsend. Like they they absolutely need him and he's 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 come through so far. Yeah, I agree and I I think he is more valuable being used in that role where it's like from the time the pitcher the starting pitcher gets hands the ball to Rob Thompson after he's coming out to whoever's coming in in the ninth inning, I think you utilize Jose Alvarado in whatever the highest leverage spot is. Like we saw it Obviously, you're not going to do this in a regular season game in April, but we saw it last year where he came in in game one of the World Series in the fifth inning because they deemed that a spot where they needed to shut down, and they got it. And uh, it reminds me of what Andrew Miller was in Cleveland where you have that guy that can pitch wherever. You need someone that's still a solid closer. They're not going to be your best reliever. They had Cody Allen. The Phillies need Craig Kimbrell, I think, to step up and be that guy. Uh, Kimbrel is worth the opportunity, but he is not someone like if it doesn't work out with him as a closer, it's probably a, a loss on that transaction. So uh, I, I think stick with Craig Kimbrel for the time being and see what happens. Um, as far as other guys that have impressed, Alec Bohm, I know he struck out to end this uh, Yankees series, but really impressive so far to start the season. Uh, he, he's driving the ball well he's hitting the all parts of the field he looks like somebody and again there's always going to be some shortcomings defensively but he looks like someone offensively that uh has taken another step yeah he does and th there are always going to be the problems in the field but i remember one play in texas that he kind of botched or maybe it was game one against the yankees but other it was it was one of those tough plays where I think he like took a few steps to his left and then took a bit too long to get rid of the ball and then threw it like a little bit wide. But I mean, it wasn't that bad. And he's been pretty, pretty sharp out there. Otherwise he had that diving play, I think on opening day or maybe game two. Um, and then at the plate, as you said, like the, he, he just looks so confident up there. And that's, it's, it's something that he really feeds off of. Um, and we've seen it ever since he came up in 2020, like when he's, when he's confident and he's 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 feeling good at the plate, there's he's, he looks very good, and it always seems like he knows like when um, like when when he can like drive a ball out of the park like he did in the first at bat of, of the season, and when he just needs to like you know take a take a uh, you know a, 
a lighter swing and sort of poke it into right, and he's been doing all of that. And yeah, it's like he's he's who you want up in pretty much any spot at this point. He, he looks awesome. Yeah, no question about it. Um, as far as some of the the newer guys, we touched on Gregory Soto. I think Jake Cave has hit him with some bad luck, specifically in that first game in Texas. He obviously had the home run that was robbed, but he also had another ball that he hit to left center that he scalded, but it was right at somebody. But he's someone to me that, like, he, eventually he's going to be your fourth outfielder whenever it is that uh, Bryce Harper comes back and takes over as the DH. Castellanos and Schwarber are likely going to be in the outfield pretty much every day. But for the time being, he's a very important player. Uh, he's definitely an upgrade in right or left field over uh, e- either one of them defensively, and I think he can play center field. The problem is they don't need another left-handed hitter out there necessarily. But uh, I-, I think he's hit into some bad luck, and I-, I am interested to see what he does as the season goes along because he, as much as you want to say take things with a grain of salt, he hit like 475 in spring training, and then – came in that first game and had some bad luck, but was really hitting the ball hard. And he's somebody that intrigues me. I don't know if I'm fully there. I mean, I, I, I do agree he's hit into some bad luck. He's, he's kind of striking out a bit, but um, you're right. He did get robbed in, in Texas. He, he did look really good in spring, but also like there's, there's a real, like, I, I, I hate to be this, this guy, but there's a reason why he was out there like for free. Um, he hasn't been, really a good um bat in the major league since 2019 and even then he was like fine so it's it's the kind of thing where you're like you 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 hope that he can sort of get out of the babbit or you know get into some more luck there um because he's been he's been robbed once or twice he's been hitting into some bad luck like you said but i don't know i don't i don't know if he's like necessarily locked himself into that role for the long term i think like I don't know. He's hitting sub Mendoza. He doesn't look like he looks fine. He, it, it, I will give him. He, he he always puts together a pretty competitive at bat, and that's something that the bottom of the lineup, um, well, with with um, Pache there and with Josh Harrison there, the last couple of days, it they haven't really been doing that every single time. So I guess you'll take what you can get. Um, I think I think you're you're right. He's hitting like one one um 67 i don't think he's that bad i think he'll be fine he's fine as your fourth out uh outfielder but obviously you wouldn't probably even with the spring training that he had you wouldn't be starting him every day and they're kind of in a position where they have to do that so you you're either going to hope that the luck sort of turns itself uh around soon or they've got a lot of moving parts to this outfield and i'm not sure he's like absolved himself from being one of those uh, as far as Nick Castellanos, he was very good in Texas at three doubles in two games. And then he came to New York, and I don't believe he had a hit in the series. In both series, he really has not gotten a ton of friendly calls when he's been at the plate, whether it was today or whether it was C.B. Buckner on the second game of the season in Texas. He's had a lot of blatantly wrong calls go against him so I, I would say that the other thing i would say i was looking at some defensive metrics before the game and obviously it's an extremely small sample size and typically he's graded out extremely poorly defensively and on a lot of the metrics that's what he's doing so far but he has a few outfield assists and he has entered the day with two defensive runs saved even though a lot of his other metrics are bad and in the negatives 
uh, I found that interesting because he's a guy in his last year in Cincinnati that threw out a bunch of guys. Obviously, a former first baseman, what he was drafted as. He doesn't necessarily like have great quickness, but he has a strong arm, and that was kind of one of the things I thought, well, at a minimum, he'll be able to throw some guys out. You didn't really see that last year. But you've seen it a bit early on, and I think he's done a better job. There's still work to be done, but he's done a better job laying off of some of the balls uh, on the outside that that look like strikes and end up tailing way out of the zone that he was chasing last year. He, he has seemingly done a better job. Uh, I think what you would like to see in this homestand, Nathan, is him driving the ball a little more consistently. He doesn't have a home run yet. Uh, and after the three doubles in that first series, did not have a good stretch in New York. Yeah, so he his first at bat of the season was the double off to Grom in in Texas, and like you know, I did the whole Castellanos' back thing, and then I looked on Savant, and it was like eighty and a half miles an hour on the hit, which is you know, it's like it's fine. He he placed it well, but it's it's been it's been a, a, a lot of that, as you said. You kind of want to see more of the. Of the power, especially to the to the pull side, it doesn't have a home run yet. You kind of want to get a little bit more out of him, as far as that goes. And and it sucks because like the the pitches that he's been getting squeezed or the opposite of squeezed on are the ones that he struggled with the most last year. It's that outside slider on oh 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 one that he's been like he's been swinging at some of them this year, but he's been taking a lot of them too, and then those just get called strikes. So I'm I'm kind of concerned that. The more those get called strikes when they should not be, the more he's going to be like, well, I guess I do have to swing at that pitch after all. And then you fall back into what what was, you know, a large part of the problem in 2022. Um, so that's that's something to watch, obviously, if you have um, – uh, how do I phrase this nicely? If you have somebody else behind the plate than some of the guys that they've had the past few games, not going to name names, but it's been pretty brutal. So that's sort of one of the things that you hope would turn itself – uh, around there and in the field, he does look a lot more comfortable. I think ever since he made those two plays in in October, it's been um, not as talked about his his um, you know his his woes in the field. I was a little surprised last year when Schwarber graded out worse than him from a defensive standpoint because it just felt like by the eye test and the regular like if, until October, Castellanos was way worse. Um, and then today happened and you see the ball that I forget who hit that bloop down the left field line. Schwarber like got a great jump, took a perfect route. The ball was in the air for 10 seconds and he was still like 30 feet away from it when it bounced. Um, yeah, but it, it did create the Trey Turner slot. Yeah. Which, even though it wasn't a good play for the Phillies, it ended up being a double. Uh, it, it was cool to watch. And like in terms of Cassianos and Schwarber, what I would say is Schwarber, if he gets to the ball, is going to catch it. There's no issues. Castellanos, as much as, like, he doesn't have quick feet necessarily, but he's someone that has long strides, and I think he'll probably get to more balls that Schwarber maybe wouldn't get to. But when he gets there, I don't think he's as sure to make the play maybe as Schwarber. And obviously, uh, his arm is much better than Kyle Schwarber's. But, yeah, I, I would agree with you. Last year, Castellanos was the worst uh, fielder or a worse fielder than Kyle Schwarber. Um, there's a couple of questions in the chat, so I'll read them. Uh, Seth says, we all know Hunter Green is going to shut them down tomorrow too, right? 
Well, Seth, I don't think they're going to be playing tomorrow if I had to guess, so joke's on you. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I think that game will probably be on Friday. I don't know that. I have no inside information other than I can read a weather report. And right around the time that the game's supposed to start, there's like a four- or five-hour stretch of thunder and lightning. Uh, and then Steve says, on the train back from the game, but so can't listen, but are the Rangers and Yankees good? I think that's a good question. Um, yes. I don't, like, I look at this Yankees lineup, and I, I'm like, outside of Aaron Judge, and Anthony Rizzo is still a very valuable player, Jose Trevino is a good catcher, but, like, I, I don't think it's a particularly good lineup. Like, Aaron Hicks is in there. IKF is consistently in there. Gotcha. DJ LeMayhew, you're not really sure what he is at this stage. John Carlos Stanton, I don't necessarily know what to expect year to year from him anymore. Uh, so I don't know that the Yankees are a great team. Obviously, Garrett Cole is an excellent pitcher, one of the best in baseball. But uh, I didn't come away from that series thinking like the Yankees look like a World Series team right now. No, I didn't either. I think their biggest strength is their is their um, starting staff, and like three of them are hurt right now. So I think they're good. The lineup's still good. Um, but yeah, it's like I don't know. Yeah, as you said, they're no like world. They're not. I don't know. They don't look all that great right now, or as far as I mean, it's still April, what fifth? So um, I actually yeah. think the Rangers are somewhat decent. Um, that lineup I think is pretty solid, and then on the pitching side, they have some arms there that are intriguing with uh, Degrom, uh, Ovaldi, uh, Perez. So I think that team could actually be solid. Um, they sh- they shouldn't have gotten swept, <laughs> obviously, um, but. I don't know. It, it it wasn't quite the the sweep against the Cubs, or that happened twice last year. Wow. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I was talking to Cade Kistner, who covers the team for SI. Uh, he covers the Rangers. He has covered the Phillies as well. But uh, basically, we were saying like the Rangers are a lot like the Phillies of 2021, where there's a lot of talent at the top of the roster but the depth you're not sure of and i think the other thing that scares you is you have an entire rotation full of guys with injury histories jacob Degrom, nathan evaldi yeah. like uh perez had kind of what's been an outlier season last year so uh I, they strike me more as a team that's gonna end up with 78 wins but they'll have stretches where they look like oh this is a team that's a playoff caliber team that's kind of what i see when i think that uh that stadium is also it's a it's a band box there especially when the roof is open yeah. and it, it is a disaster to field and right field there um i asked jake cave about it because he had a play in texas where he lost it and then caught it right at the last second and he told me that he didn't see the ball longer than he saw the ball which is scary when you're talking about the velocities these balls are coming off the bat at and then Robbie Grossman that game had two balls that were just like he just straight up missed them because he couldn't see out there that was with the roof open but uh yeah that was my experience kind of in that park I'd say the area around the stadium is nice they have a little like bar and stuff outside the stadium that's cool the stadium itself is kind of forgettable and I did not get the sense that players enjoyed playing on the the field there yeah it, i went i saw the stadium um last year the the old one so i don't have as much insight on the new one but it looks cool like from a visual perspective but yeah it did look kind of weird it's like 
how far did Schwarber hit that ball? The the one that he got robbed on, like four sixteen or something like that. Um, and then he hit one four yeah. in against the Yankees, and it was like twenty rows deep. So, uh, yeah, you need a you need a happy medium between those two. I like that baseball doesn't have like universal lengths of different parts of the stadium, but I think Yankee Stadium really is Mickey Mouse. And as much as it's cool to be at Yankee Stadium, like actually watching it, it's like, oh, this is a pop fly and it ends up in the second row in the, in the seats. Yeah. That's not enjoyable. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't like going to like domes to watch baseball. Like I don't want to watch baseball in a building. I would rather the game get rained out, which it may very well be tomorrow, and you just play the next day outside than be indoors where it's often very dark. I've seen... Texas, Miami, uh, Houston. Uh, outside baseball is just so much better. So anyway, it's a, it's a side rant. Because whenever, like, one of the cool parts about going to stadiums and one of the reasons I think it's really stupid, when teams put press boxes in terrible areas and the press box in Texas is very high, it's kind of hard to see, like, the plate. Like, one of the, obviously, most people that don't do this for a living like don't have people their jobs sending them to these stadiums so maybe they'll get to go to one stadium a year that they've never been to if that so one of the ways they kind of decide how they're going to go to those stadiums is by listening to what people who have been there have said and often that is writers and media and so i think it's strange when they put press bot like they make it a bad experience or not a bad experience but just like not an ideal spot for them to watch the game because they're the one informing other people that are potentially customers. That's a very inside baseball thought on it. But Nathan, I always thought the old stadium looked a lot cooler, but obviously it was not practical to always be playing outdoor baseball games in Dallas in uh, July. But uh, yeah, that, that's my long ramble on stadium. It's I've been to a lot of domes recently, and I'm tired of them. It's also not very practical to schedule an off day the day after uh, opening day because you know you might have to fit in a rainout game when there's a dome in the stadium. So that's like not possible. I, it's also not practical to be closing the roof in the middle of an inning. Like I, I don't know how that's fair to fielders. And actually, when that was happening, I think the Phillies were batting, but. But maybe they weren't. I don't know. That that game was a blur. But uh, it, it's kind of goofy to be like, just take a ten minute pause or whatever you need to do. I know pace of play, and I I'll say that before we get out of here. I think the pace of play thing has worked. Uh, I've really enjoyed just seeing singles between the first baseman and the right fielder, the shortstop and third baseman this year. I also believe like you've seen some plays from Bryson Stott, Edmundo Sosa, like it's becoming a lot more about is this infielder good or not, as opposed to are they lined up in the exact right spot? Um, I get a strategy, but it just, the, the strategy got too good for itself and it, it hurt the quality of the game. I think. Yeah. I also don't, don't really like the whole, like, Oh, a game shouldn't take under two hours. Like the Marlins twins game did yesterday, because like you're getting the same amount of baseball it's still 27 outs and there's like probably more action now. So yeah, I think it's fine. I mean, I don't know. I think that. Uh, yeah. I also think the um, when Castellanos drew that walk in the um, uh, seventh or eighth inning today, 
um, you know, it was a pitch clock violation thing. And it's like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of at the point where I get it for the first few games or so, but if it goes on too much longer, like it's your fault. Like don't, you know, let the pitch clock expire. You know, the rule it's been in place since the start of spring training. Now, maybe there's some, there's some points to be made with, you know, having it 20 seconds with nobody on base and 25 with, with, um, with, 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 um, you know, somebody on base, but I don't, I don't have a problem with it. I'm watching the same amount of baseball and I have more of my day left. So whatever. Yeah. I honestly, I think it should be shut off in the ninth inning. Like one of the things about closers that's so fun is they have their routines and Craig Kimbrell, maybe more than any closer ever, is deliberate and does his whole thing. And I feel like it's a rush now. And I don't know, some of those late game moments and like, I don't know what you do if you turn it off for the ninth and then you go to extra innings, like you put it back on. I don't know because games were too long. Like, and it's ridiculous. People are like, Oh, well what's wrong with that? Don't you like baseball? That's a ridiculous argument. Like I like music, but I'd probably rather listen to a 13 song album than a, a 21 song album. Um, so th- th- there's a sweet spot of finding what is the right amount and baseball's doing that. I don't necessarily want to see games that are one hour and 55 minutes, but Sandy Alcantara is not going to be on the mound in every game either. And uh, one of the things I would say is like the painful games are no longer four and a half hours anymore. I'm, I'm sure there will be some that are extremely long, but by and large, uh, like the games where a team just isn't hitting, they're going to be over quickly. So you're as a fan, you're at least like out of your misery quicker than you would be otherwise. And uh, I think there's something to be said for that. I, I don't know how many new fans it's going to bring into the game, although I do think it's probably intrigued some casual fans into watching more consistently at the beginning of the season. I don't know how long that's going to stick. But in terms of the diehard fans, that's what's being discounted here. I think it's a better quality product for them and taking care of the people that are your most loyal customers matters too, not just getting new ones. So, yeah, uh, I think, yeah, that, I saw it, um, opening day, I think said a single day, like most streams in one day of baseball, like ever or, or something like, um, and it is probably true that like, it's the first time every team opened the season on the same day and every, played and yeah sometimes every team's played in the middle of the season too but that happens in like july when there's not as many eyeballs on it but still i mean every game yesterday took under three uh hours so i think there's 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 something to it um i think it's bringing more fans you're obviously i think there are probably some who are like this isn't baseball this is manfred ball and i'm not gonna watch this until it goes away i think there are way fewer of those than there are people who are like yeah, I can watch a game in two and a half hours now and, you know, not be up until 10 or 11. So, I think- Yeah, I mean, I could make plenty, criticism, plenty of criticisms about uh, Rob Manfred's job as commissioner, but in terms of what he's done in-game, I like most of the changes. I like the runner on second base in the regular season yeah. in extra innings. I like uh, some of these pace of play changes this year, I think they were necessary. And in the past, baseball waited too long before they started doing these things. And maybe they did in this case too, but better late than never, I guess. That's going to do it for us today, guys. Thank you for listening. Check out all our stuff on Phillies Nation, and we'll talk to you next time.